0: We are continuing our series called He is Coming. We are doing a summer-long study of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We are in chapter 3, so we're about halfway through the first book. And what we've seen so far through our study is that Paul is writing to this young church. They didn't spend much time with, and he is concerned about this church. He's worried about the persecution that they are facing. He's worried about the hard times that are coming at them. He's worried that they're ho- going to lose hope, lose faith, lose that energy and that excitement, and so he's writing as, well, you we saw in the first chapter, he's really writing as a concerned parent, because he loved them like a mother would love a nursing child. He loved them like a father. He wouldn't just let them get comfortable, but he would push them to be better and to be greater and to step into the things that god had called them to be because in light of everything he ends every chapter reminding them that jesus is coming back and that we need to live in light of the fact that we're going to be united with our savior and when we get to chapter three he's going to continue this concern he's going to continue to pour his heart out i just want to see you guys i just want to be with you and make sure that you're okay But he's also going to start transitioning us into the second focus. In chapter 4, we're going to transition into a a new focus, a new theme of the book. And this chapter 3 is wrapping up this concern, but praise for their strength. And here are some instructions to continue to be strong in what God has called you to be. So without any further lead up, here's chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore... When we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort you in your faith. Paul says, I can't take it anymore, but he also recognizes that if he goes back to Thessalonica he could be putting the church in danger. And so, what he does is he continues the mission that God has put him on. He goes to Athens, but he sends Timothy. And this is really interesting because Timothy wasn't the only guy with him. Timothy and another guy named Silas. And Silas, we know, was older, more experienced, probably a little wiser. And so, the question is why does Paul send Timothy? Why does Paul send the young guy to check in on this young church? Wouldn't it make more sense to send the old guy or the older guy? And so what we learn is that Paul talks so highly of Timothy in all of his writings. Even though he's young and inexperienced, he sees so much potential, so much possibility of what this young man could do for the glory of God, to the glory of his gospel And it's a reminder for us to come alongside our young people, to find those young people in our work or in the church, or even if they're not young in age, but young in faith, and take them under our wing and say, I see so much potential in you. God has such big plans for you. You have such a bright future in this area, whatever it is, because so often the world looks at age and says no you're not qualified no you can't do that let the more experienced people come and that's not true every one of our young people has the potential to change the world they just need someone to come alongside them and remind them of that fact and let them know you have all the potential that God has placed in you to do amazing things in this world let nothing hold you back and Paul so believed that that in his first letter to Timothy he said Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. God has called you. God has gifted you. You can do this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And there's somebody I know that needs to hear that. And it doesn't necessarily need to be heard by me. It needs to be heard from all of us. All of us need to come alongside those young people that God has put in our life and say, you have... All the potential in the world, don't waste it. Step into the great things that you are stepping into, that God has called you into. You can change the world even now. You can get started now. And Paul, the way that Paul talks about Timothy, my brother and my co worker, he's establishing Timothy for the church that he is. Paul's equal. Equal in authority, equal in ability. He is not just the young pup that we're like, well, he's got all the energy. He can go back. No, actually, he is a leader. He has authority. He can do this. And so I I just wanted to pause there, and I thought that was really interesting how Paul was so intentional to speak so much life and potential over the young guy, and it's a good reminder for us to do the same in all walks of life that God has placed us in. But continuing on, verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. So he's back to the church. He said, I have sent Timothy to encourage you that nobody would be moved by all the persecution, by all the affliction. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, (coughs) I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. So Paul's talking about two things here. In light of the persecution and the affliction first he's as we've heard throughout the whole mess throughout the whole book i'm worried about the persecution i'm worried about the trials that you're suffering i'm worried about the pressure that you're under the pain that you're experiencing because of your faith in christ i'm worried about you guys but then he also talks in this passage about the tempter and he's talking about another angle, another way that our spiritual enemy uses to try to take us away from the faith that God has called us to. That word moved in that in verse 3, it's the Greek word that is related to the idea of a dog wagging its tail. So like, you, you know, short of having a dog up here wagging its tail for you, you get the idea what it looks like when a dog, it's unstable, it's unsettled, and so... What they think for the unsettled or this moved, in one sense, is those people who are not really strong, founded in their faith, that when the persecution comes, they would be moved and tempted to move away from it to alleviate the persecution, to alleviate the trial and the hardship that they're facing. But the other way, with the tail wagging, is the idea that you can be drawn away from your faith. That instead of putting the persecution and the trial and the hardship on you, but instead it's the tempting. It's the you don't have to go through this hardship. You don't have to, you don't have to make all these sacrifices for your faith. You don't have to. You deserve better. And what happens is it starts with the lie that Satan used right from the get-go. Did God really say? Did God the first deception with Eve, did God really say, don't touch the fruit? Did God really say that you were to honor the marriage bed? Did God really say that this is the model for relationship under God? Did God really say, and if we can't answer that, all of a sudden we start believing things that aren't biblical, and our faith becomes founded on things that aren't true, and we get We get sucked away from this solid foundation that Jesus laid for us in His Word and in His teaching, that God laid out from the beginning of time through the Old Testament and the New. And it all starts with, did God really say? And if we can't answer that question biblically, then we get tricked into believing things that simply are not true. And all of a sudden, Our faith is based more on human reason and emotion and feeling than it is based on God's word and the Spirit's leading and guiding. And so Paul is worried that through flattery and kind words that the world is trying to draw these young believers away. And the same is true. I think this is probably the more usual tactic for us in North America, this tempting, this drawing, this... Did he really say, do you really have to believe that? Do you really have to live this way? And we gotta, and this is, it's for us, it's for our young people, everyone is susceptible to it. Everyone, because we're bombarded with so much information, so many opinions, so many, and so many like, hmm, I never thought of it that way kind of ideas, right? Right? The best lie is one that has just enough truth to make it believable. And so we need to not just know parts of the truth, but we need to know the whole truth and our whole life founded on the truth that is found in our scriptures and our Bibles. And we need to know what the word says so that when that question comes, did God really say, we can say, yes, he did. Or no, he didn't actually, he said this. Continuing on, Paul's concerned so he's as I said he's so concerned he's sent Timothy even though he couldn't go himself he sent Timothy and what we see in this next verse starting in verse six is Timothy has returned and he has a report he has something to tell Paul about the church and this is what Paul learns about the Thessalonica church He says, now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, all our distress and affliction we have been, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God, as we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul says, Timothy has come. and he that a good report or a bad report? He's got a good report. He's like, they are standing true. Paul is saying, I am so glad. My heart is lightened. My prayers have changed because I am so happy that you have maintained your faith. You have not allowed the tempter. You have not allowed the persecution to sway you. You're staying strong. And he said, I ki- and you want to see us as badly as I want to see you. So he's encouraged in that. He's excited about the fact that there's a mutual longing to see each other. Paul says, I can't wait to get back so I can teach you all the things I didn't get to. Because remember, he was only there for three weeks. There's a lot of stuff that Paul wasn't able to cover in that short time. So he wants to get back and he wants to teach them more and he wants to round out their faith more and, and equip them and enable them to do everything that God had called them to do more and when i read this i wonder and i have to ask the question if somebody were tasked with the same thing that timothy was tasked with if somebody in the faith who hasn't seen you in a while were to come and to visit and to check in and see how you're doing spiritually Your relationship with Christ. How are you doing with the Christ? How are you doing with the church? Are you serving? Are you involved? Are you praying? Are you getting into God's word? Are you living out the faith that you have held on to so tightly? What would the report be? What would they they see? Growth? Would they see? I haven't seen you in a couple of years. You're kind of in the same spot you were when I left or would they see decline? And I think this is a question we have to ask ourselves. If I ran into someone who hasn't seen me in a while, what would they see? Would they see growth? Would they see me maturing in my faith and stepping into the bigger and deeper things of theology, and or would they see me in decline, stepping away, not quite as involved as I once was? And the truth is, is that we as believers, and not just in faith, in everything, in our work, in our personal development, every once in a while we need to stand in front of the mirror and say, how am I doing? How am I doing? Am I doing good? Am I growing? Am I developing into the person God has called me to be? Am I where I want to be spiritually, physically, emotionally, we have to be self-aware, we have to know where we are, because if we don't do those checks every once in a while, suddenly we we do, we don't intentionally, we just kind of stumble in front of a mirror, and we're like, how did I get here, and I have been, and then you realize, I've been here for way too long, I've been stuck in this rut, I've been doing some bad habits i have been whatever fill in the blank and not that those seasons aren't going to happen everyone has seasons where they are are in decline or they're kind of stagnant in faith and those seasons are okay but those seasons teach us stuff those seasons are designed to help us learn something about ourselves learn something about faith maybe we need to shake something up so that we continue to grow It's not bad. The problem is we get stuck in those seasons. We get stuck in the season of complacency. We get stuck in those seasons of, ah, I'm doing all right. I could be doing better, but uh, do I really want to do the work to do better? Do I really want to just step into everything God has called me to? The problem with being stagnant and complacent is soon complacency turns into decline because it's like, ah, do I really need to keep this practice up? Do I really need to keep doing this discipline? Do I really need to? And then all of a sudden someone comes and they see you and they'll know if you have a brother or sister in the faith who comes and checks in on you and sees, they're going to know exactly whether or not where you are on the scale because they're going to see the fruit. Paul talks about in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And when we are not thriving spiritually, when we are not growing spiritually, those things start to wane. And they start being less evident. We start having less patience with people. We start having fill in the blank. And some of us are growing. Some of us are doing really well. And some of us are, and I probably fall into the stagnant. There, I'm in a season where I'm just not really growing. I'm not really in decline. I'm just kind of stuck. And I'm waiting for God to <laughs> impatiently, like, God, just get me out of this stuck. Show me what I need to shake up so I can. And that's okay. But it's not okay to be like, ah, man, I'm stuck whatever. it's not just us individually what about if someone were to show up sunday you know a little quiet here this morning but if someone were to come and check in on the church and be like hey how's the church doing because we're all part of that we're all part of the health and the vitality and the growth how's the church doing spiritually how's the church doing and what are we doing to make sure we collectively we're all in this together how what are we doing to make sure that we are growing and being effective in our community. The big question that has been asked, and I remember Pastor Louis putting this out all the time, if one church closed its doors tomorrow, would Carlisle notice? Would Redverse notice? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. And that's not just me have to, we all have to ask it. Would our community notice? Would our community grieve for the fact that we weren't operating anymore? And we need to ask that question because everyone's asking that question. If someone were to come and give a report, what would they report about you? What would they report about your church? What would they report about the family? What would they report about everything God has entrusted us with? And that's a question we need to ask ourselves, not every day, but probably on a regular basis. We need to do that check, that self-awareness. How am I really doing? And Paul closes the third chapter with this. He has a prayer for the people. And it's this, this prayer is what transitions us in chapter 4. It's his prayer that in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trial, here is how they are going to maintain, here is how they are going to overcome and stay strong, even in the midst of the hard times. Starting in verse 11, Paul says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ Direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and Father, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Paul says, I'm praying for you these three things. And the first one is, may God direct your path. May we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking and leading. May God be the one who is directing our steps, as he says in Proverbs, may we be humble, humble, and aware of what the spirit is saying to us where he's leading us and guiding us where he is taking us in our life may we be spirit, people who are led by the spirit that's the first thing right out of the gate may you be and he's talking about himself may god open the door for me to come to you but it, for us it's where is god leading you today where is god leading you this week and this month and in your life what is the destination and may we be sensitive and know how God is leading us. The second thing God, Paul, prays for them is that they would grow, increase, and abound in love, not only for one another, but for everyone. And this is a big prayer because we're The city has come against this church. These people are being persecuted by officials and by people who are supposed to have authority over them. They are not experiencing good times right now. And Paul is saying, may you still love them all the more. Remember in the first chapter, Paul kicked it off by saying, I remember you for your work and faith and your labor and love. And we said that word labor actually meant hard work, the harder work of love. And Paul said, you're already doing the harder work of love, but I want you to do it all the more. I want you to increase in love. I want you to abound in love, to overflow in love for your community, for the people in the church who just want to just let love flow out of us. To everyone we encounter, to everyone that we are entrusted with, may you increase and abound in the love, and not just human love, not just emotional love, but the love of God. In the same way that God has loved you unconditionally and un- unrelentingly, may you do the same, not just for the people in your life, not just for the people in your church, but for everyone that you encounter. The third thing is, may you be found blameless in holiness at the coming of the Lord Jesus. And this is a big one. Holiness means holiness was used to describe something that was set apart for God's purposes it wasn't common it wasn't meant to be like done used like everything else it was set apart it was special and it was set apart by God to God to be used for glorious things and he says may you be blameless in the holiness that I have put in you and I was thinking about it I, this is like a contrast to what we said last week. Last week, we talked about how when Jesus comes, Paul was, Paul's thing that he was going to be most proud of was the, Thessalon- the church in Thessalonia, Thessalonica. He was like, you are my pride. I am going to boast about you at the r- return of Christ. It was his offering to the king saying, look at what I have accomplished for you. Well, holiness and blameless is the other thing. Is there, it, the question is when we stand before Christ and we stand and we have to give an account for all that God has called us to and the life that we live, what are the things that we are going to try to hide from God? Now we all know we can't hide anything from God, but it doesn't mean we don't try. It doesn't mean there's times where we live like we can, like we can get away with something. Because we're going to stand before Him and we're going to give an account of everything. And everything, when I say everything, I mean Everything that has not been repented, everything that has not been brought before him and say, Jesus, take God, forgive me. Wash me clean of this. What is the thing that is unrepented, that we just tolerate, the things that are contrary to God's word and God's ways? What is the thing we're going to try to hide from God? And Paul's prayer for the church then and now is that, that we would come before God with nothing to hide that we would have repented of everything, that we would lay our hearts before him saying, God, I don't want anything of the world. I don't want anything of sin. I don't want anything that's contrary to you in my life. I just want you. And not that we're going to live perfect lives, but we have the humility to come before God when we do make a mistake, say, God, forgive me. God, I need your strength. God, I need your grace and your mercy that you make new every day. God, forgive me of this. Help me to not do it again. Help me to do better tomorrow than I did today. Help me, God, to be blameless in holiness before you.